All right. We had a message last week on uh, the problem of, you know, unanswered prayer, resolving unanswered prayer. And I went through several things in Scripture. Uh, it, it shows you that that's a very important talk, uh, topic to the Lord. Amen. I mean, obviously, he's talking about our communication with him, right? If you don't have communication with God, you're in trouble. You're all alone. And if that persists throughout your life and you die that way, you're alone throughout all eternity. And your very salvation experience began with you placing your trust in Jesus. It began with a prayer. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. So when you got saved, you were crying out to Jesus for his mercy. Amen. And the Bible says if we, uh, you know, believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ, you know, uh, died for our sins and we confess with our mouths that he is Lord, we'll be saved. Amen. So we came to him. You remember Jesus gave that illustration of that, that publican, man. He was despised by the wicked world around him but he, uh, because, you know, he's just a, a, a sinner, you know. And he beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, Lord. And Jesus said he left right with God. But the Pharisee who said, I fast twice a week and, you know, I give to the poor. I'm such a righteous person. He, well, he didn't humble himself and he wasn't right with God when he left, right? So we have to depend on his mercy and his grace because we are not saved in our own righteousness because our righteousness is what? It says what? We all know that or most of us know that, right? It's like filthy rags before the Lord, amen? So we have to come to him in Christ's righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith, and we call that experience of, of, of being forgiven, we call it justification. We're justified, amen? We're declared righteous. And the word actually is used in a biblical context often as not being condemned. There's no condemnation, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen? And those who are truly in Christ Jesus, it goes on to say, uh, they live for the Lord, amen? And Jesus said those who have put our trust, if we put our trust in him, we've passed from death to life and we will not come into condemnation. Amen? And he didn't say those who put their trust in me in the past, it's using the present tense. Those who are trusting him have passed from death to life and you will not come into condemnation. That's really good news. Amen? That's why the Greek word euangelion, which is used over and over in the New Testament, simply means we translate a gospel. I think a better translation is just, and, we, and I praise the Lord, I, I love the word gospel, but it just means good news. Sometimes we talk about the gospel, people realize, start to forget, they just think it's some kind of mechanical or strange thing, but it, it literally means good news, amen? And the world is filled with bad news. I don't care what station you turn on, it's this just happened, and that happened, and this happened, and, and this is going to happen, and this is going to court, and this is, you know, oh man, you know, it's been just ugly, you know? But we have good news, and people need to hear it. Has your life been changed by the good news of Christ? I, 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 it was night, now it's day for you. You were blind, but now you see you were dead, but now you are alive, amen? So it's, it's amazing what he's done in our lives. So last week when we talked about forgiveness, uh, I talked about it just briefly at the very end of my message. In fact, it might have been part of my prayer. And I wanted to say more about forgiveness because we were talking about why prayers go unanswered. unanswered. And, and the Lord has so much to say about that because, it, because he wants to make sure that not only we have a, can communicate with him, but that we are right with him, amen, that we have a relationship with him, that we're forgiven. And I went through many, many scriptures, and we could do a whole 10-part series on that easily. I'm just doing two parts, 
And I wanted to focus on the last part of my message, which I think I might have mentioned a verse at the very end, came out in my prayer because it was on my heart to, to close with this. And I thought, that's pretty good. I'm happy, Lord, that I did not really get time to get into that because we can really explore it together today because the greatest need we have is being forgiven. The great, if you ask people the greatest problems at work or wherever you're at that the world has, you know, well, today they'll say, you know, all kinds of things, you know, that you, they don't even bring up, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know. But now there's, you know, the, 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 uh, all the confusion about sexual orientation and not just orientation, but the confusion about genders, you know. We say, yeah, there's male and female, X, X, Y. It's a biological fact. Nobody quibbled about it. Everybody knew it. Now we've moved beyond science into fantasy, right? Because it says they won't love the truth, right? They'll be given over strong delusion. And it talks about how in the scripture there, there'll be all this confusion in the end times. And people will not have storge. Last times, difficult or terrible times will come. King James, perilous times will come. And it says that they'll be without uh, storge, which is family love. And we're just, we don't even know how to, they don't know how to define a family today. I remember BLM, and, and we're, we're a fellowship that takes a strong stand against racism, and we're represented by all different races here, and it's the most beautiful thing. But we also know a ruse, a, a lie, when we see it. And BLM, it's, it's a political movement, was saying part of their, uh, they took it off because all of a sudden it didn't play well in the public, was, you know, they're Marxist. But they also mentioned quite clearly uh, that they're against the nuclear family, Okay. And that rightly got a whole lot of black folks and just folks in general upset. They're out for the destruction of the family. Crowley said public enemy number one, the Satanist, was the family. And we know the Bible says in the last days people were without family love. And one of the things, ways that Satan destroys a family is by going after your relationships. And the best way to go after relationships is to ferment unforgiveness. Because the biggest problem you have in your family, you might think it's finances or something like that. It's not. Because you can, the Bible says better eat with just a morsel or nothing pretty much than be in a house of feasting with contention. You can have very little, but the Lord promises that he'll meet your needs ultimately according to his riches and glory. Amen? And so it's very important to understand that, uh, and if finances get between a husband and wife, the only thing that's going to separate them with finances is a heart of ingratitude and unforgiveness toward one another, one or the other or both. And so it's important to understand uh, if the pro biggest problem was war, and that's a big problem in our, in our world, amen? It's a, it's a problem with nations. It's a problem with people groups. It's a problem with gangs. It's a problem of why are there wars among you, it says, or quarrels. It's translated sometimes in James 4 because you have, you know, you don't ask. And then when you ask, you ask to fulfill your pleasures. We went through that last week as to why that, what some prayers are answered. And that's in that passage. But guess what? If the main problem was war, the Lord could just send an angel, right? We just talked about, you know, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians, right? But the biggest problem wasn't war. Or God could just speak, boom, die. Everybody that's involved and has war in their hearts, who's ever had war in their hearts, die. Well, we'd all be dead, by the way. But the greatest problem we have is not war. It's not the economy. There's more than enough on this planet to supply for everybody, by the way. If people would obey Jesus and love their neighbors themselves, it would be easy to resolve. But we have messed up hearts. We don't love our neighbors. And the problem is sin. And the need, the greatest need we have is forgiveness. But God couldn't send an angel to forgive us. Amen? 
He couldn't find a righteous man. He searched and he said there was not one. Oh, he knew that, but he's metaphorically speaking to us that, hey, there's none among you. No one was worthy to open the scroll in Revelation chapter 5, amen, the title deed to humanity except the Lord Jesus Christ. After John's bawling, weeping, he can't find anybody in heaven. It says on earth or under the earth. Jesus stands forth and it says he beheld, you know, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who looks like a lamb because he still bears the scars. He stood up from the right, the right hand of the Father. He stood up and took the scroll because he paid the price so we could be forgiven. But what, that's, what does that have to do with unanswered prayer? We're forgiven in Christ if we put our faith in him. So how does that fit with unanswered prayer? It's not his lack of willingness to forgive. It's if we refuse to forgive others. It's one of the clearest teachings in Scripture that you hardly ever hear on Christian TV or Christian radio because it's not a popular thing to get into. It just doesn't, doesn't sell. There's books on forgiveness that will sell, but they'll say things like, you need to forgive yourself, not biblical. Or you need to forgive God. That's even worse. Oh, that's, that's popular right now. You know, I think R.T. Kendall, who's... Uh, very popular teacher out there, was in Spurgeon's pulpit for years. I think he teaches both those things, if I remember right, in his book called Total Forgiveness. These become popular teachings. And you start getting on, focused on those things, man, you're not focused on the real problem, you know? So we need to get these things resolved. So as we go through this message together, I want you to really, uh, we want to cut through some of the lies because Satan, one of his weapons, the Bible teaches us, is unforgiveness. And everybody here is going to deal with the challenge to forgive people. Some of you will be your hardest problem to overcome. Others, it might be third on your list. Others, you might say, no, everything just rolls off my back. It's like not a big deal at all. You know? And then all of a sudden, guess what? If you start thinking like that, the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he wet. You fall, you're, 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 you know, then it's like, okay, saying, oh, he's not really short up in that area, is he? I usually try to get him in this area or her in that area. I'm going to use unforgiveness. It's one of the major seeds that he sows in our hearts to cause us to fall. Because guess what? If we're putting our trust in Jesus and following him, the enemy can't have us. And he ticked off that we, we experienced the grace of God. He hated that Job was so favored by God. You could see the dialogue going there. In chapter 1 and chapter 2. And some think, oh, that's just a prosecuting uh, attorney. Michael Heiser uh, says that, you know. Oh, he's not, it's not really Satan there. He's, that's a prosecuting attorney in heaven. This guy's like more of a neutral, you know. I'm like, you're not neutral. You're one or the other. And he's not neutral either. He's actually has, if you look at the narrative, he's not just seen to, trying to say that, show that Job's fallen. He hates Job with a passion. And he hates God. He wants him to curse God to his face. Okay. And Satan is, it is a title. Most of the names we use for Satan are not formal names. They're, they're, they're titles often, but titles often become names. I mean, I can show you most of the names in the, in the Old Testament, or many of them, I should say, are titles. Abraham, father of many nations, right? Eve, mother of all, right? We just go on and on. You know, Daniel, you know, and I just, I'm going to start getting, getting a study on the names of, of, of people. But names reveal who somebody is often. And Satan is a slanderer. In fact, the name Diabolos that we translate devil means slander. Satan or Satanas, is, uh, Satanas means uh, opposer and also is associated with him being the accuser. That's the word used in, in Job. 
And by the way, when Satan's dealing, being dealt with in the book of Job, you can cross-reference that book of James. When it talks about Job being our example, it's right after James talks about resisting the devil. Okay? Satan is the devil. And by the way, in Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20, Satan, the devil, the serpent of old, and the dragon, all four of those epithets are used together to describe the same devil. Satan is the devil. The devil is Satan. And the serpent and the dragon. I've got to be careful. And we're going to get done on time. Okay? I'm just going off on things that wasn't out of my notes, and that's how always can be dangerous, but a good thing, as long as it's biblical, right? So it's important for us to understand that uh, there's, there's like a lot of pop Christianity right now. So we need to cut through the lies of what, what forgiveness is about and really focus on what the Lord says about it because we have one life to live and we want to get it right, amen? And this life is like a vapor. So we want to make sure we please God. And Lord, give us grace to, 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 to grow in your word today. Uh, it's it, pop Christianity. It's like a, a Dr. Phil kind of Christianity, you know, where you just use slogans and things like this, and they're like, get you through everything. And, and then things can creep in because they just sound good. They just sound good. And uh, it's interesting because a, a, a Christian song, quote unquote Christian song, the chorus goes, part of the chorus goes like this Forgive yourself, forgive yourself. Anyone who bears a scar wants to forget it. Forgive yourself, forgive yourself. And, you know, goes on and on. But not just pop Christianity. C.S. Lewis said, quote, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Sounds good. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of places where it mentions forgiveness, talks about forgiveness, mentions how God's forgiven us who are seeking the Lord, how God is not forgiving the wicked unless they repent, encouraging us to forgive one another over and over again. Never once, I've never seen, and show me the verse, and I'll repent of my viewpoint where it says we must forgive ourselves. You won't find it. Okay, I read the very first verse of the Bible all the way to the very last verse of the Bible. You know, and read, I read Scripture over and over and over and over again. And all of you have read the Scripture, that read the whole Bible, you've never seen that. And uh, it's just interesting. It's nowhere in the Word of God. And, uh, you know, He wants to draw us close to Him. And we have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. There's not condemnation. Uh, it's important also to understand that of these verses all over the scripture, nowhere are we ever told as well. The second lie that I want to talk about just for a moment is that we need to forgive God. Okay? That's being taught in the pulpits all over the place today. In fact, we just did an update on the Bethel series. You know, Bethel is supposed to be this incredible, the biggest revival in the world, you know? All these miracles and everything happened in Redding, California. But it's all who's who of people that are involved in the prosperity movement. You know, I, I looked at their website when this first thing started growing. I looked at their links. Because you can tell a lot about a movement when you look at their associations. I've seen Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, all these guys. These are the links to them. I'm like, oh, same stuff. Oh, now it's, oh, it's tied into the Laughing Revival. You know, I did a three-part expose on that. You can still get on the internet. I play a bunch of clips of people doing all kinds of demonic things, calling this a revival. And gold dust, they were seeing gold dust, some of them on their hands. Yeah, well, guess what? If you put gold dust in your church, you're going to get gold dust in your hands, you know? I've got a great testimony from someone who admitted that that's what they were doing, you know? A lot of churches are doing those kinds of things. Uh, but we did a five-part series on the whole Bethel movement on, on our uh, podcast, you know? And a lot of people, we're in usually somewhere... We're in the, I don't know, 60s, 70s usually when it comes to podcasts listened to uh, in the nation. 
of, of spiritual. And that includes New Age, witchcraft, Christianity, everything. So praise God. We have a great, we do several, uh, several shows a week. Uh, and then in the world, we're, we cracked 100, which is pretty cool, just recently. And that was pretty good because uh, Chad was gone for a while and we didn't do some. And we thought, oh man, we're just, you know, because we want to reach as many people as we can. And it's like, wow, got right back in the saddle and we didn't drop, we actually gained. And that means we're touching a lot of people. In fact, Doug was just telling me that he was putting together, he just shared, and he goes, oh, this is awesome. I was talking to a pastor in New Mexico and, you know, we're talking about doing something and so forth. And I was sharing with him the podcast. He goes, oh, every day, first thing I do is listen to the Good Fight podcast. So I, so I do my, start my devotions in the morning. I'm sure he prays, but as far as what he listens to, I'm like, that blessed my heart. It's good to know people are being impacted. But we did a five-part series on that. That's why I emphasize that. You got to check that out. We play a bunch of clips. It's just so explosive. Well, we just did a six-part because Bethel just answered. And they say they don't answer the critiques that are done on them. But they just answered a lot of the things we brought up. So we did a response to their answers because there's not repentance, you know. But one of the things we point out on one of those podcasts is that they teach that you have to forgive God. Anybody have a verse for that? It's impossible to forgive God unless you're living in the fantasy world because God has not, God, it's impossible for God to sin. Amen? Now you might not understand something the Lord has done, but that's not because he's sinned or he needs forgiveness. That's because we don't understand what he's done. We see through a glass darkly, amen? He promises that he works all things together for the good for those who love him or the call according to his purpose. He promises to work not only everything for his glory, but he says he makes all things beautiful in his time. Isn't that reassuring? He makes all th- he's got a plan. You have to trust him and you have to trust what he's doing. You have to trust that if you're loving him, he's going to work everything for the good ultimately in your life. And you're going to become more and more Christ-like, which is a the context there, by the way. You know, for him he foreknew. That's a context. The word for is a conjunction that connects to verse 28. Verse 29 says, for whom he foreknew. Who's that? Verse 28, the verse before that, he works all things together for the good, for those who love him. It's those who love him. And are the call to coin his purpose. For whom he foreknew, those guys, he works everything for the good. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God uses the very painful things in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Paul said that it might be a partaker, right? And a lot of people like to say, because Paul says that he might be a partaker, you know. He might know the fellowship of his resurrection. Yeah, but you know what he says right before that? of his suffering, that I might be a uh, partaker or uh, that I might have, you know the fellowship of his suffering and his death. We're like Romans 8, right after it says he works all things for the good, it says we're like sheep led to the slaughter. We can't compute that as well in this world that we live in, in this country, because I always try to remind you, the United States of America is an anomaly compared to many Christians around the world who are persecuted. China, you know, the Middle East, the Soviet Union, Many Christians were put to death through the years. Inquisitions under the Roman Catholic Church for years and years and years. Uh, Still, Christians are being persecuted around the world. And we look at these verses and we have a pop Christianity. We have the prosperity movement, which is the most popular form of Christianity that's promoted on so-called Christian TV by, for instance, Trinity Broadcasting Network. It's like... Well, some of your stuff's on, been on Trinity Broadcasting Network. No, I haven't gone on there. People take my stuff and it ends up on there, you know. It has ended up in there in the past, some of it. But no, I didn't say I want to go on Trinity Broadcast Network. I'd never do that unless they repented. I wouldn't go there and condone their ministry. If they gave me their, the opportunity to go there and preach the truth, I would. 
But part of that truth, I would be convicted, would have to be say, hey, the money-grubbing gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'd last about three minutes probably. Now, it's interesting because uh, something separate from what we exposed with regard to Bethel and forgiveness, I went to Bethel.com, you know, and I was just doing a search on forgiving God. And I ended up at Bethel.com, and it was something different than what we exposed. I'm like, oh, there you, there you guys are again. Uh, it's a testimonials. She had also had level six shoulder nerve pain since 2002, on and off. She felt like she needed to forgive God for taking her mom. If her mom was a Christian, praise the Lord. It upset her mom, if she, maybe if she, especially if she got the glory, and this is God's plan, right? If, she didn't, if her mom didn't know the Lord, that's part of the sad thing in this life. We have relatives, we have parents, we have siblings, we have children that turn away from Jesus don't, or don't want to follow him. That's part of the way. He means far more to these pe- children, our family members, parents, they mean far more to God than to us. Any love that you have for a family member is a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of God's love. And that's being generous because his love is infinite. And the love that we have for others is love that came from who? Him. And when we have a deeper love for people, it's from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The love of God is shed abroad in hearts. That's Galatians 5.22. Uh, Romans 5, the love of God is shed abroad in hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the love that we have comes from the Lord. Amen? And if we trust him, we trust that he knows what he's doing. Amen? We have to graduate to a greater love and a greater trust in the Lord so the enemy can't trip us up. That's part of the spiritual warfare that we're in. And Satan loves to use unforgiveness as I believe it's one of his most effective tools, if not his most effective tool, when it comes to tripping up Christians. Because we have a choice. We don't lose our free will when we come to Christ. So she also, it says in this Bethel testimony, had level six shoulder nerve pain since 2002 on and off. She felt like she needed to forgive God for taking her mom. She did. Like, yay, you forgave God. Good, let him off the hook. He feels so much better now. Wrong. That's not biblical. She did, she did and the pain went away. So this is actually teaching. This is demonic. It's teaching that you can get free from physical pain by forgiving God of his sins. God doesn't sin. Now she can physically feel God's hand on her shoulder, guiding and comforting her. And God showed her that he would be there for her since her mom cannot be any longer. That's ridiculous too. Now God can be there since your mom's not there. The Lord already is there whether your mom's there or not. And he's the one you're ultimately supposed to be relying on. Amen? Now, this is is so important that we get this. It's so important that we understand uh, that there are a lot of lies around that if we don't understand, if we don't get it, we're in huge trouble. Now, it's also important to understand that God calls us to forgive one another, okay? Uh, He commands us to. That's probably better put to say he commands us to. Colossians 3.13 says this, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive, or should you. So let me read that again. Let it sink in. We're supposed to be bearing with one another. In other words, it's kind of tough sometimes when you're with certain people because they're hard to tolerate. Okay? Some people are just obnoxious and, you know, you know belligerent and hard, even professing believers and hard to be around, you know? Why are you all looking at me? Oh, I'm preaching. Okay, I'm like, 
you know. Bearing one another with one another and forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. In other words, someone might hurt you. They're going to hurt you. It's going to happen in life. That's why forgiveness is the tool the enemy uses because he knows you're going to be hurt. Because we're all so imperfect, amen? Okay, don't hurt people, though. Don't make it hard for people. Love one another as Christians, amen? For, uh, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. So let's say you have a complaint against somebody. You're just upset with them. Just as the Lord forgave you, just like the Lord already forgave you because he has way more complaints on you than you have on anybody. Infinitely more, amen? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also should you. Now, listen to Ephesians chapter 40, verses, well, verse 30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, right? By whom you've been sealed unto the day of redemption, right? It talks about not giving a foothold to the devil right after that. Hmm, interesting. So this is the context of the devil trying to be at work in your life. Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sin go down on your what? Anger. Understand the context? Don't give a foothold to the devil. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You got a relationship with the Lord. Don't let the sin go, uh, sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it. Forgive somebody. Go to somebody, perhaps, to deal with the situation. But don't stew over it. And he wants us to do it immediately. Why don't let the sun go down on your anger? Because he knows the longer we linger in unforgiveness, the more opportunity the enemy has to harden our hearts and get us to a place where it's harder and harder Day after day, week after week, month after month maybe, year after year to ultimately forgive someone. Are you with me today? So he says in Ephesians 4, he goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, rage and anger, brawling, and slander. Ooh, slander's there. In fact, it's very interesting. I'm not going to go through it now, but I've been, I was working on two different studies this morning. And I was praying, which one, Lord? because they're both on my heart. Which one? And I was doing, I did a whole message a long, long time ago about the names of the devil and knowing your enemy. So I thought one thing I might do is go through the names again, but, I'll, but make them more devotional. Applying them, how does this apply to our lives in spiritual warfare? So I thought, you know what? That would be great to bring to you because, uh, uh, okay, these are the names. We know our enemy, but here's what you do in respect to who he is in Revelation, in regarding the revelation of his names here, you know, and here's what the Lord says. So I was working on that, and I was working on this, and I woke up at five something, so I was like, I'm good, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, you know what, I need to do part two of last week's message, you know, I, it's just stuck in my cry, I need to, I need to preach on which I, I worked more on this one, and I thought, you know what, this verse right here, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, but one of the things in my other study I was working on this morning is one of the names of the devil is Diabolos, right? which means slander, right? And there's all these passages that warn us not to be slanderers, to bring a false accusation against somebody, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, the Lord, he says a lot of things and he exposed a lot of things. There's certain things that need to be exposed because they bring destruction if they're not. But if you get hurt by somebody, you want to make sure that you deal with it biblically, amen? That you don't go around slandering that person, that you deal with it biblically, and it says, along, now look at this, get rid of all bitterness, rage. And by the way, bitterness is that seething inner anger because you're upset with someone that manifests in rage and anger, brawling and slander, diabolos. The same Greek word used for the devil throughout the New Testament often, diabolos for slander is used of what we are not to be. Along with every form of malice. I love how he says every form of malice. Because if he just said malice, I would say, oh, that's not me. Oh, there's different forms of malice. 
You can show malice to somebody by just be, being irritated with them and just showing them a little attitude, but you didn't really actually go out there and slit their tire when they weren't looking. Oh, that's not me. I would never do that. But guess what? You give someone a cold shoulder because you just don't like them because of something they said in the past. That's not Christ-like. So it's subtle things you have to be careful of. Amen? Be, now, I love what he says because in Colossians and Ephesians, these two books I'm quoting from, uh, it's very interesting because he's writing them from a prison cell. And he's been maligned. He's been unduly attacked. And he's saying this to believers. And he says, forgiving each other. He tells us, be kind and compassionate. This is what you do do. Instead of being bitter, which manifests in these other ugly ways, you, you be kind in your heart. You're kind to be kind to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. In other words, motivation needs to be love. But they don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. They don't deserve my love. You didn't deserve God's love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? While we were enemies, the scriptures say. We were antichrist. We were hostile, it says, in our minds against him. We were filled with wrath, the scriptures say. Amen? We're children of wrath. That's, we had ugly, fallen, depraved, wicked natures. Forgiving each other. Just as Christ God, uh, just as Christ God forgave you. Amen? There it is again. So we're supposed, now this is, one, this is very important. He's not just saying forgive one another. It's a good idea. No, he's saying our main issue was need for forgiveness. God gave it to us and he lavished it upon us in the most radical way, by the way. And he's saying that we're supposed to forgive people in the same way. Now, when I think about it, I'm like, whoa, he didn't just forgive me, but he became a man because that's the only way he could forgive me because I had a debt of sin. You had a debt of sin. And I, we either go to hell or that debt's paid. But God is a just God. And just like every judge in this nation who lets a criminal off, who's gone around destroying people and hurting people, and he stands, and I, I use the illustration sometimes, a lot of times when I witness people to let them know we need forgiveness. And I say, hey, if we witness somebody just bludgeon this lady to death and just take off with her, her purse and stuff, and we were in court, and, we had, and it was like the judges, yeah, it's obvious, but you know what? You could go, no big deal. Would that be just? And everybody, everybody, everybody I've never had anybody say, well, yeah. They know deep down because we have the moral law of God written in our hearts, even non-believers. And they say, no, that'd be wrong. Oh, yeah, you're right. The debt has to be paid, man. You know, but hey, what if you got a huge speeding ticket? You're going over 100 miles an hour on the freeway, 120. Luke's smiling right now because he just got caught doing that. And he got a big ticket. No, I'm kidding. It's just the way you just smile and you just like, and your mom's looking at you. So I'm thinking something's going on over there. <laughs> Luke's one of my awesome nephews. Awesome guy. Um, I got to make up for what I said. He's so wonderful. So cute. I'm just kidding. He <laughs> no, he's a great kid. But uh, that was kind of funny. I gotta, I'll talk to you later about it, whatever it was. But all of a sudden, but you know, your mom steps up and she has grace and mercy upon you and your dad. They put some money together and they pay that. $1,000 ticket. It's a big one, man. Now, guess what? You're able, what's that? Luke likes that idea. He's got a bigger smile than earlier, you know? Uh, but yeah, sometimes you have to teach him a lesson. You got to wash a bunch of cars or do whatever you're doing. So what's important to understand here, though, is that a fine can be paid by someone else. But we can't pay each other's fine. The Bible says the soul is costly and no man can redeem his brother. That's the predicament we're in. So we're in trouble. How, how, does, how do we get out of this predicament? Is God in a predicament? No. God's never in a predicament. He's in some tight spots. 
He has to go through a lot. But he decided before he made us, he knew we were going to fall. Amen. So he could just not made us. He said, I want to do this plan. But he's like, no, I want a people for myself. I want to give people some power in my image. They're not going to become gods, but they're going to be radical in my image. And it's going to be too much power because I want them to know me. But it's going to be too much power for them to handle because they're going to want to be their own gods. And they're going to fall. But I'm going to show them how great my love is. Amen. I'm going to become a man myself and die in their place. And that great love, that kindness is going to lead them to repentance. And it's going to lead them to a sense of appreciation and loyalty to see who I am. And they're going to remain loyal to me forever. Boom. Amen. Like that click there, brother. Amen. That's a beautiful plan. Wow. It's the greatest love story. You Hollywood can't even sniff this love story. In fact, I've been, when you study movies and lately, unfortunately, I've had to look at comics. I can't believe what, I know way too much about comics now because I'm getting ready for this Marvel DC thing. And I'm like, when you study it, you realize they're just copying. Anytime they have the character good, they're copying something the Lord's done in the gospel pretty much. But then they make, they distort it, right? That's a whole other story. But it's interesting. We have this amazing God, but it's real. Superheroes are fiction. It begins with just when you look at the differences. Well, uh, first off, God is real. You know, and he trumps every other superpower they have, right? So it's no contest. We should be, if, if kids were a tenth ex- as excited about who Jesus is as they are about the popular superheroes, it would, st- it would make my heart, it begin to get happy in my heart about what's going on with the youth today. Teach your kids about Jesus, amen? Okay? Now it's important for you and I to understand that only God could pay that price. He did pay the price. And that price, I love it, man. It says, the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, remember that scripture, let this mind be in you, or this mindset be in you, or this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be taken advantage of, but he made himself nothing or no reputation, and, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. He's found in the very nature of a servant, and he became a man, and he died a death, and then just says, right after it says death, the Holy Spirit's like, now let me say a little more to Paul. Even the death on the cross. I mean, he died this radical death. He was bludgeoned, his beat to a pulp. In Isaiah 53, it says you couldn't recognize him, you know? And we can spend a whole message on the crucifixion, but that's not what we're talking about today. But understand, beaten, beard pulled out, bag put over his head, slammed over and over again. Tell me, what's your name, prophet? Bam. But he's like a sheep before his shearers. He's not there to convince them to stop. He's there to die. So he allows himself to go through this whipped over and over again. Uh, and it, when that crown of thorns, it wasn't these little tiny stickers you step on. These are long thorns. Beat into the head, man. It says they hit him in the head with a rod. And, and they whipped him over and over again. He just get whipped one time. Got whipped over and over again. And the, uh, one of the words used there is like incessantly, just continually. Not 39, okay, we're done. That's Roman law. He went before two different whippings. And that's, he's dripping blood in the Garden of Gethsemane before he even starts the suffering that will end up ultimately taking place on the cross. He went through all of that to forgive us. But you're like, oh, it's too hard to forgive that person. What? This is God you've sinned against. The infinite, eternal, perfectly good God who's never done anything wrong but only done good to you and can't sin. There's no darkness in him. God is light in him. There's no darkness at all, it says, Right? He's not tempted, and he can't be tempted. He doesn't tempt, and he can't be tempted, scriptures say. Right after that, James 1, where it says there's no shadow of turning within him. This is the incredible God we have, that, that 
He went to great lengths to forgive us. And he's telling us that we need to forgive others. I guarantee you, and, and, and I'm not minimizing or being insensitive to what we've gone through. We've all gone through some things. We've all been hurt by people that's in very painful ways at times. But nothing adds up to what we've done against God. And by the way, we deserve hell anyway, right? God deserves just praise and worship. But he is the most maligned. I mean, the favorite cuss word of many people is JC in a negative way. Or God, you know. It's like, God's, it's like that's not an accident, you guys. It just happens? No, it's spiritual. Where it's not against flesh and blood, there's a spirit of antichrist in the air, man. Prince of the power of the air. People don't even know what they're doing. They just use the name of Jesus in a negative way. Oh, and they call him Beelzebub. And he said, and we think of Ma- Matthew chapter 12, I think it is. Yeah, it's Matthew 12. Mark chapter 3, I believe it is. It's Mark 3. All men are sins, shall be forgiven the sons of men, and blasphemies were severed, they shall be forgiven. But he that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has neither forgiveness in this world or the world to come, because they said he has a demon. But in Matthew 12, you see they were calling him Beelzebub. You know, ruler of the demons. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, a couple chapters earlier, if they've called me Beelzebub, and I'm the master, how much more are they going to call you it? And by the way, there's a dehumanization going on right now of Christians. Remember what they did to the Jews? The Nazis, the Joseph Goebbels, and the, the propaganda minister there. How do you prepare people to slaughter the Jews? You teach, treat that they're them less than human. You, they call them rats, you know. The Muslim call, Muslim call them rats, too, the Jews, to this day. They're dehumanized. Because you can't, you can't kill humans. Well, they kill humans all the time. I mean, tens of millions of humans were killed in our nation by the right of the gov- that government, you know, to this day. Tens of millions of babies in the womb. If you can kill a baby, you can kill anyone, especially Christians who you don't like. And right now, uh, Christians are being called things, and it's going to happen. They crucify Jesus. He says in, in John 16, he goes even deeper into, you know, if they hated me, the master, how much they hate you, the servant, and so forth. And it's going to even be professing Christians that kill other Christians. Brother against brother. They'll think they're doing God's service by killing you, Jesus said. That's what I referenced, just referenced really John 15, but it goes into John 16 where he goes on to say that. Serious stuff's coming. And it's going to be really hard to forgive because there's going to be a lot of knives in your back because Jesus said in the last days the love of many would grow cold, right? And lawlessness would increase. And Paul said evil men and imposters in 2 Timothy 3 would wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we're in a world that you, you need to get ready I'm trying to tell you right now that right now there are a lot of professing believers, okay? There's these political battles right now, but there's, it's in the air. I mean, I can tell you right now, if there was not pushback and there was not sensitivities that they had to, uh, there's certain people in the media right now would just be, would like to just put target every Christian's back in the media, okay? There's that spirit there. It's because we rest on this flesh. Well, there's demonic entities working. Just watch our video, They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. Watch our coming Marvel DC deal. You know? And I'm not talking, well, this superheroes. No, superhero is just an image, just like the idols were just images. It's the writers behind these things. Like what they just, Marvel just hired, or I'm sorry, DC. Uh, no, it's Marvel. They just hired a couple of liberal writers to write for Captain America. And now he's all like, the American dream is a lie. 
you know, open up all the borders. And he's saying all these different things that are like, it's like they're preaching through these characters. That's what you have to understand. It's like, how can he talk about us? I love that superhero. Come on, it's just an image. These guys are writing me through these images, using them to manipulate us often, amen? I think it was the guy that played Superman. He just came out a couple weeks ago. He said, he, he hates what Marvel's doing. He doesn't want to watch it anymore. He's, he played Superman on the big screen. He goes, because they're just what they're writing. We have to be aware that we're in a spiritual war, but you're going to get a lot of knives in your back, even from people that you love and that you would never expect it from, and it could throw you totally off because all of a sudden you, the love grows cold, and it says if you hang out with an angry person, you become angry like them in the book of Proverbs. Hang out with a wise person, you become wise. So you can be around people that their love grows cold, and before you know it, you find yourself being like them. You have to spend time with Jesus. You have to spend time at the foot of his cross. You have to be, spend time meditating on the word of God day and night. Amen? Realizing it's living, it's powerful, it transforms. His word changes us into his likeness more and more as we stay in his word. Amen? You're in a good place today. Praise God. Whether you're watching by live stream, you're watching it after I've preached this message, or you're here today, you're in a good place because we're in his word, and that's what we need to be meditating on. Amen? So we don't get thrown off. But this is a real battle that we all face and it's very very important to understand how much we have been forgiven you know micah seven nineteen, and i'm spending time on talking about his forgiveness for us because guess what that's the main motivating factor theologically that will move us to apply forgiveness to from ourselves to others amen so i could talk about forgive here's abc what you do no what does the bible say about it and why should you forgive and then abc you have to understand that he forgave you this incredible debt. So when you are upset and you're angry because you have a knife sticking out of your back by someone you love, uh, you're motivated to not go after them and put a knife in their back. Speaking metaphorically, amen. Hopefully nobody's knifing each other in the back, amen. But still, we need to be in a place where we can rise to the occasion and obey the Lord. Now, I love this. Micah seven nineteen. it says... This talks about his forgiveness. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Now, I notice people are getting smarter here. Those guys got up right as they went to a scripture. Because they know when people get up, sometimes I play with them a little bit. You know? So they try to go pee before they leave or before they come. Or they make a call because it's probably not the most important call that they have to make. If it is, or you really got to go, I understand when you leave. Two people I know very dearly, so I'm... I know everybody here very dearly, though, it seems like, you know, because we're very close to the fellowship. But uh, <laughs> uh, another relative and then one of my best friends and, you know. But my point is this, is I, I was just joking, but lately I've noticed, man, I'm kind of playing with people when they leave. Maybe I shouldn't do that so much. And I'm like, I, I, I look down, we read scripture in my periphery, I see two people get up. I'm not going to, I'll go like this now. <laughs> I'll look at you, I'll hold the, scripture, the papers up so I can see you. Uh, but anyway, I love this scripture, Micah seven nineteen. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities, our sins under his foot. Man, and poor Jimmy just left. He's probably got the biggest feet here. Ask him what size. Can you imagine God's feet? You know, I mean, they're not literal feet. Amen. But that's another metaphor. Another, but he spoke the universe into existence. Our sins are on his feet. How many of you can say, thank the Lord for that, amen? In other words, guess what? They're not getting up after he smashes them. Uh, Micah 7, 19b, 
Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I love that one, man. Cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. Praise God that he didn't just go like that and smash them, but he throws them into the depths of the sea. Oh, there's another passage that says he cast them behind his back. I like that. So I, I, I like, I'll use that with the, so it's like he's on the ship and he casts them on his back where he doesn't see him anymore. He sees you in the righteousness of Christ if you're trusting Jesus. Amen. He is our righteousness. Amen. He doesn't see us in our sin if we're trusting Jesus. We're cleansed. We're not, he doesn't hold them against us. Amen. But then they go to the depths of the sea. And there's some, metaf- there's some pictures like Jesus says it's better for a man who leads a little one astray like Hollywood's doing with men, in the music industry with many young people. Better for them that they well, would be cast into the depths of the sea. First, a huge millstone hung around the neck and be cast in the depths of the sea than what they're going to suffer. That's strong warning. God cares about us. He cares that he, he's, there's going to be some vengeance upon the wicked, unrepentant wicked. There's mercy if they come to him sooner. That's what we pray for. But I'll tell you what, the depths of the sea is used as a, as a picture. Uh, it's pretty powerful. I mean, the, the, the sea goes miles and miles deep. In fact, I was recently reading an article which I thought was very interesting by Feldman, a, scientist, a NASA scientist, and he says, in some ways, it's a lot easier to send people into space than it is to send people to the bottom of the ocean. The intense pressures in the deep ocean make it an extremely difficult environment to explore. Wow. On a dive to the bottom of, Mar- of Mariana Trench, he says, which is nearly seven miles deep, you're talking about over 1,000 times more pressure than at the surface. That's equivalent to the weight of 50 jumbo jets pressing on your body. Now, I wouldn't want just a small airplane pressing on my body. A jumbo jet, 50 of them. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The, the, couple, that, the couple people that came back. I'm so glad. I was playing with you guys, but I'm so glad we're talking about forgiveness today. We all got to forgive, you know. <laughs> no, they're great. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. I'm, Joe and Kathy, you better watch out. I'm picking up the whole Bowman family. I just realized there's a, a nephew and a niece there, you know. But anyway, uh, man, could you imagine? I mean, such pressure. And you know what? They've only, they, there's about 80% of the ocean floors or more, okay, of the ocean period has not been explored. Because it's hard to even get mechanical little small submarines really low because the pressure is so intense. Can you imagine? I mean, they're discovering new species on Earth, Every year, several of them. Scores and scores and scores of them every year. Can you imagine what they would discover in the ocean if they can go deeper? It's pretty crazy. But that's where the Lord's cast your sins, man. Way down there where no one could get there without their head exploding. I want to go fishing and get that and come and get, well, mm, you're in trouble then <laughs> because uh, your head's going to explode. I love this one, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14. This is one of my favorite ones on forgiveness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the, what? East is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now, how far is east from the west, guys? It's a long way. Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Keep in mind, parents love their children deeply. And that's a mirror of the Father's heart, but to less degree even. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful verse. I remember my wife was, I, I think I've, I've shared this before, but it was just beautiful because, you know, she was 
reading the word and she was just, there was beautiful tears in her eyes. And she's just looking at this verse. She goes, I'm just so grateful that he understands that, you know, we're, not, we're far from perfect, that he knows that we're dust though, that our frames are weak, amen? The Lord's compassionate, amen? He knows that. Doesn't give us a license to be in rebellion to him, but it's a great place to be to understand that, wow, he cares about us like a father cares for a child. But he's cast our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. I'm glad he didn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because if you left church today and you started driving to the North Pole, you'd be taking, you, well, you can't just drive, okay? You'd sink eventually. But let's say you drove and then you went north eventually and you landed at the North Pole and then you kept going north, you can't keep going north. As soon as you get to the North Pole, north and south meet there. If you go due north from here, you hit the North Pole, you're going to start going what eventually? South again, right? And so it really wouldn't work as far as, oh, that's, well, that's a long way. No, it's a longer way than north to south. Or, you know, from the north to the south, it's from the east to west, which never meet. They don't join together. You ever hear the East Pole? And then you go west? Don't, right? So the forgiveness we have is like an infinite forgiveness. This is like so awesome, so wonderful. And that's how we're supposed to forgive each other. See, what I need, when I want to learn, what does it mean for me to forgive others? I want to be, you need to be biblically, theologically informed because that's how you're going to have a robust theology leads for a robust life. I can, wow, you went through what to forgive me? You went through what on the cross? Oh, Lord, you're amazing, Lord. I need to go the extra mile to forgive others. It's nothing compared to what you went through. How completely have you forgiven us? Wow, as far as the east from the west, that means I shouldn't be bringing up old things. Love, God is love. He's agape. Love keeps no records of things wrong, right? And the Lord doesn't, the only time the Lord brings up old sins to them is when they're starting to repeat them or going away from them. And then he warns them, hey, as a warning. If, if, we, if we get messed up, we're going the wrong way, you know? So it doesn't, so, but, so there's a context sometimes. If someone's repeating behavior that they've continued on before and, they, and, and they've gone back to it, there's a, but if you just bring something up in the past to hurt somebody, it has no relation to what they're doing now. That's malice, you know. That's not the Lord's heart. Amen. Love does not keep a record of things done wrong. So, uh, and by the way, uh, I love this, and I mentioned this verse already, but I didn't quote it. Uh, it just came to my mind. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. Lo, for my own welfare, I had great bitterness. Like I'm in trouble, man. But it's you, and has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. Wow, pit of nothingness. Interesting. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. So if you want a reference for that, that's Isaiah 38, 17. I love this passage too. Uh, it says, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions from my own, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He says he will not remember our sins. He will blot out our transgressions. How many, want to, how many are happy to know that your sins are blotted out if you're trusting Jesus? Amen. How many are happy to know that he remembers them no more? Now, some people say, God forgets them. He doesn't even remember. He forgets them. They don't exist anymore in his mind. Wrong. He doesn't forget them like God's omniscient, okay? It's not like he's like, did you ever do something wrong in the past? Hmm. Hmm. No, remembering no more, it's put a different way. He chooses not to remember them, okay? So if you forgive someone, it's not like you're unaware of what they've done, but you choose not to remember their sins. So they're not in the forefront of your mind. You're not holding them against them anymore. And guess what? For us humans, it can become eventually forget. Like, I mean, how many of you have been hurt and then you don't even think about it anymore? 
doesn't even come in your mind. Okay? Not that you couldn't retrieve it if you wanted to in some cases, in most cases maybe, if it's been really painful, a lot of cases. But for God, he doesn't bring it to his mind. He doesn't hold it against us. Hold it against us. He's blotted them out. How could he blot them out? Because the handwriting that was written against us, the, the, the condemnation that was against us because of our sin by God's righteous law, Jesus absorbed that in the cross. Amen? He paid the penalty. And what did Jesus, what was one of the last things Jesus yelled on the cross? What's that beautiful Greek word? Tetelestai, he cried. And what does tetelestai mean? Paid in full, Jimmy? Yep, paid in full. It's finished. It's over. And I've told you over and over again, in the, old, in, in the ancient times, in biblical times, when they were sitting there in a prison cell, and a lot of times when you're in prison cells, you're going to just die. But you could be in a debtor's prison, okay? If you're in a debtor's prison, that was a terrible place to be because you have to pay it back, and it's hard to pay back the debt you have if you're where? In prison, right? But family and friends could sometimes get you out. And, but if you were in prison and you got out, they would write over the placard, because the placard would say what you've done, they'd write to Telestai over it. Paid in full. Amen? On the cross, when you were dying, and many people died on crosses, Romans couldn't kill Romans on crosses, they would behead them, but they could execute uh, other, other foreigners, and Jesus was a, not a Roman, he was a Jew, and they crucified on the cross, and they put his supposed, alleged, uh, what was supposed to be a sin that he committed, a false accusation, but it was what he was being king of the Jews. King of the Jews, he was king of the Jews, he is king of the Jews. In fact, he's king of kings and lord of lords, right? But he wasn't dying for his sins because he was without sin, he was dying for us. So when he proclaimed, it is finished, paid in full, was that crossed out? King of the Jews? No. That wasn't a sin. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He offered all of us forgiveness. So if we come to him and ask for forgiveness, we receive forgiveness and we're blessed. If somebody comes to you and says to you, how you doing? How you doing, man? Or just say hi to somebody at work. What do you say? Better than I deserve. You hear people say that, right? Things like that. But one thing you can say is blessed, you know? I'll say blessed sometimes. I don't know what I say if I think about it. But I'm, I say blessed often, I'm sure. And because I'm blessed, and you're blessed if you know Jesus. Listen to this. How blessed is he whose sins or transgression is forgiven. How blessed. You're not just a little blessed. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit because God also changes our hearts. Amen. So it's imperative that we see the beauty and the importance of, of, of this. But it's also important that we don't fall into lies like I got to forgive myself. Now, sometimes people and sometimes that, that becomes a self-centered pity party where you just focus on yourself. If somebody's, oh, I got to forgive me. I just did so many bad, oh, I, oh, I can't, I, I got to forgive me. No, don't stay there, man. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus. Don't throw a pity party. That's where the enemy wants you to get hung up. 
Well, how can I forgive myself? You don't. The Bible doesn't say you don't. It never says forgive yourself. What it does say is to accept his forgiveness through faith. And when you realize what he did for you and how you are forgiven and how you are now seen in the righteousness of Christ and no longer in the filthy rags that you were in and all the things you had done. And he no longer defines you that way, that you are in Christ Jesus right now. And you were redeemed in his, through his blood, that you are seated in heavenly places, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. That your name is written in heaven. Amen. And that you are a child of God. And you start to see who your identity is in Jesus, you just rejoice in who you are. And instead of saying, oh, I did this, I did this, woe is me, you know, I can't forgive myself, you say, what an awesome God I have. What good news is I can't believe you forgave me. It's time for me to be what the Lord's called me to be. Amen. And shine that light and share that good news with others so they can see me saying, I'm so, I, you want Jesus? No, I don't want that Jesus that leaves you in your sins. Now you need to be humble. And you say, Praise God. You can say, man, I've blown it big time, but he's forgiven me. Amen. The angels rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. If the angels are rejoicing, certainly the person that's repented should rejoice. Amen. And the joy of the Lord is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Christians shouldn't be walking around all sour like they're sucking a lemon. You know, we should be walking around praising God for his goodness. And we're blessed. Amen. Oh yeah, by the grace of God go I. If it wasn't for his mercy, I couldn't even talk to you right now, you know. Woe is me without Jesus. Oh, you can get there in your testimony, amen. We need to go there too. And we should weep and hurt over our sin, okay. But we shouldn't stay there. We shouldn't stay there. We should stay in an attitude of humility. I deserve God's wrath every day. I need to have that attitude. Man, it's by the grace of God that I go. But guess what? I'm constantly, by his grace, we should all constantly be saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Our focus should not be inward. It should be outward. Amen? So, another lie that we need to overcome is the lie that forgiveness is unconditional. That's the lie of universalism. Okay, that movie that came out, The Shack, the guy that wrote that, it was a Trojan horse that came into the church. Oh, it comes in the name of healing. It was another lie. You know, I did a whole expose on the shack. It's like, I don't know, two and a half, three hours long. And we show even in the movie where his father, you know, he beaten the wife and the son and drunkard and dies in rebellion. But he sees him in the spiritual world in the heavenly kingdom at the end. His father made it, even though he didn't repent, he died a drunkard, a hateful, evil being. And so the idea, because the guy who wrote that, the shack, which was the number one selling book in the Christian church for a few years, several years, is a liar. That's called universalism, that everybody makes it in the end. Whew, wow, that's a serious lie. That's not love because you're patting people on their back without them repenting while they're going to hell and you're pretending, letting them think they can go to, they're going to be right with God. So that's a lie. The Bible says we must confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9. It doesn't say, oh, we're all automatically forgiven. No, it says if we confess our sins, if is a condition. Okay, the King James Bible has 1,522 ifs in it, okay? I haven't counted them in the NASB yet, okay? I can't count them one by one in my concordance, okay? I can read the columns, you know, and multiply. But I think there's like over 1,800 of them in the NASB, which we're using, at least 1995 NASB. Ifs, small, big doors swing on small hedges, on small uh, hinges, Okay? Sometimes when a kid gets up twice, he needs a whipping, and that's what Joe's doing with Luke right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't Luke that got up the first time, so I'm messing with him. <laughs> They're getting ready for communion. They're letting me know, Joe, you're in trouble. 
You said you try to get done on time. <laughs> Thank you guys for being part of the guys that give communion. So my little children, he says, I'm writing these things that you, do, uh, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father, but we must seek his forgiveness. Listen, guys. Also, this is another lie. Well, once you're forgiven, you're always forgiven, no matter what. So one lie is that you don't need to even repent. You don't need to turn to Jesus. That's a lie. You don't need faith. That's a lie. Another lie is, well, once forgiven, always forgiven. Mm, not true. Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, says Jesus, forgive. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgression. transgressions. Forgive so you will be forgiven. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. The, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's a disciple's prayer because the Lord never prayed this prayer. I know he didn't pray this prayer. You know why? Because part of the prayer is forgive us our sins. He never sinned. So he couldn't pray that. He gave it to the disciples to pray. And we've all sinned. And look, he says to them to, to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. When we pray that prayer, it's a constant reminder that we need to make sure we're forgiving or we will not be forgiven. Because when we pray that prayer, we pray, forgive us our sins. Forgiveness is conditional upon faith. You're not, you're not forgiven. It's the same condition uh, confessing. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just forgive you. Right? If you put your trust in Jesus, he'll forgive you. If you forgive someone, that's what? That's a fruit of faith. But if you refuse to forgive, you're not walking in faith at that point. If you're rebellion, I'm not going to forgive. I'm not. Well, you're not in the faith at that point. So you're not coming come to God in faith. It's not about works. It's about this is evidence of faith is what forgiveness is when you extend it. And listen to what he says after he tells him to pray this way about forgiveness. We read in verse 14 and 15, and forgive us our what? Debts as we also forgive our debtors, right? He says in verse 12, then verse 14. Go to verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, our heavenly Father will also what? Forgive you. Now look at the but. But's a big word too, even though it's a small word. But and if together, woo, those pack a punch. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. Now we're in sync that time, bro. We've even, we even watched the Olympics together then. He got the click and I got the foot stomp at the same time that time. <laughs> Synchronized swimming, bro. Uh, that's, that's heavy. If you don't forgive, but if you don't forgive your brothers, sisters, you won't be forgiven. If what Jesus didn't do on the cross, the love of God doesn't move you to repentance, let the fear of God kick in because you will not be forgiven if you refuse to forgive others. Especially because you did way more to God than anyone's done to you. Now, go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brothers when he sins against me? Uh, he says, up to seven times. Like Peter's like, because the Jews would say three times. Peter's like, I'm going to be real generous. I might even impress Jesus by saying twice as many and adding one. Now, I don't know if he's thinking that. I think what he might be thinking is, Jesus says, your brother sins against you seven times a day, forgive him. So he'll say, hey, is there a limit there? Because Peter, James, John, sometimes they got into it, you know. They're real, right? They get, had some problems. Who knows? We don't know what Peter's asking this question. But obviously Jesus knew he needed a little bit of rebuke. Jesus said to him, go ahead and pass out the cup and bread. That'll be a blessing if you could do that right now. Can you guys do two things at once? You can, amen? Can you get the bread and still stay focused and not start thinking about where I'm going to eat and say, hey, hey, where do you want to go? We're not done yet. But I want to get done real, you know. 
I said, I'm going to get done on time and I'm in trouble here. So what's he say to him? <laughs> he says to him, not seven times, verse 22, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490, right? For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who had owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, really quickly, 10,000 talents. You know what the biggest number that Greeks used that Jesus could write down for them to understand was in those days? And Jesus didn't write it down, but he could give to the apostles to write it down later in his story. Marion, or the number was 10,000. That was the biggest number in the numerical code of the Greeks. So he used the biggest number that they could understand, they could write down. Like Murions and Murions, it talks about angels in the, in the book of Revelation. When we try 10,000 times 10,000, he's trying to emphasize on and on. It's, it's a number that's sometimes used for like just an infinite amount. And then he says 10,000 what? 10,000 what? Talents. Forgive him, 10,000 what? Talents was the biggest denomination of money that they had, the biggest weight that they had in a measurement of money. So he takes the biggest number with the biggest measurement of weight and he puts them together and says, now, What's he, he's saying there? He's saying that's a picture of us receiving God's forgiveness. Just an infinite amount. You, are you with me? And when he had begun to settle them, and the owed 10,000 talents was brought to him, verse 24, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Ooh, man, that's sad. Because look at this. Along with his wife and children and all that he had, wife, children, just breaking up the family, everything he has is gone and repayment to be made. Now he's going to debtor's prison. Verse 26, so there the slave fell on the ground and he prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Just be patient because guess what? He's never going to be able to pay that debt and debtor's going to die there, right? And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. That's, anybody reading this be like, 10,000 talents would be like, a, the amount of tax money owed in several regions of the Roman Empire. So people are just dumbfounded when, they, when they're hearing this. But the slave went out and found one of the fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And I've told you before, sometimes I think, why, do you, why didn't Jesus say uh, one denarii? Or something, you know, something even smaller, a widow's mite, you know? I know he's perfect. I said, Lord, why didn't you even make the contrast greater and then I believe he revealed it to me. I thought, I thought about it later. I go, you know why? Because we'd say, oh, that's nothing at all. No, he says 100 denarii because that's like 100 days work. A denarius would get a labor, get a day's work. He wants us to say, I think he wants to see it still hurts what we have to forgive. It's still painful. Somebody steals 100 days work from you and you're a laborer. That's, that hurts. But it hurts, but it's nothing compared to what he's forgiven us. That's the point, I believe. 100 denarii and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Now, the other servants are tripping out, like, well, he, just, he should be in prison for the rest of his life and die there. And look what he's doing to this guy that owes him nothing by way of comparison. Verse 29, so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. The same exact words, by the way, that he said to his master, he repeats to this guy who just got forgiven, who's being wicked even if he was forgiven, right? Verse 30, but he was unwilling and went, but the reaction's different than the master toward, than his master toward him, this master toward, or this fellow servant. We're fellow servants, man. We should even be more ready to forgive. Verse 30, but he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. Wow. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. That's heavy, man. You know, it says in the NIV in, Revel in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, don't be deceived, the wicked, 
NASB, unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This guy's in trouble. You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I have had mercy on you? That's Jesus' teaching, man. He teaches over and over again, forgive as you've been forgiven. But do you think Jesus pats him on the head? Good boy, you're still forgiven. Just go and, you know, have a nice day. But think about what, how you should be. No, that's how it's taught today, this concept. Look at verse 34. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. Same word that's used for torment in hell, by the way. Until he should repay what? All that was owed him. Is this guy ever going to be able to pay back his sin debt to God? It's a picture of us. No. In fact, he's addressing this to saved disciples. In fact, he starts this parable off by saying, the kingdom of God is like. He's describing what it's like to be in the kingdom. And is he describing an unbeliever here that was never forgiven? That, the guy that refused to forgive. Is he a non-believer, non-believer that was never forgiven? Yes or no? No, he was what? He was forgiven. Let no one teach you, well, if you've really been forgiven, you'll never fall away. That's not what Jesus taught, guys. It's popular because it sounds good, just like, oh, you got to forgive yourself or you got to forgive God. These all sound good, but it's not biblical. And it's damning people by telling them that you don't need to forgive. He says, until you get back what, until you pay back what, you, know, you can't pay that back. We can never pay off. Because look what Jesus does. He draws a line from this parable and draws it to Peter. And not just Peter, all the disciples. And thereby all us, because they're commanded to teach us and commanded to teach us what Jesus taught them. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? In fact, look what he says. My Father, my Heavenly Father, will also do the same to you. Same to you, and it's plural, pronoun there. It's not just Peter. If each of you does not forgive his brother from what? Your heart. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, you have to forgive. If you refuse to forgive, you won't be forgiven. Thus saith the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not man's doctrine. It destroys a bunch of human doctrine in the church because you don't hear this preached typically because it doesn't sell well. It doesn't fill churches. And we've never been about filling churches with just people. We want people that love Jesus. That's who he wants in his kingdom, amen? So we preach it off the page. But guess what? Biblical, sound doctrine makes sound disciples, Amen? Make sure you're filled with God's love. And if you're struggling with forgiving someone, say, God, give me the grace to forgive others. And when you, and you know the best way to get there is look at the cross and look what Jesus did for you. Amen? Because Jesus said, he that is forgiven much, what? Loves much. Catch that? That's the key. That's the key to forgiving others. It's not just we do this, this, and this. No, the major key is you look at what he did and what the price that he paid. And you say, wow. In light of what he did. And that's the message of that, that parable. 10,000 talents. Can't you look at that and say it's ridiculous? That's a slave step back. And like, whoa, how could he do that? Look what he was forgiven. We're supposed to step back and look at ourselves first, not everybody else, and say, how could I not forgive? I'm the guy. You're the guy. You're the woman. You're the man. I'm the guy that was forgiven the 10,000 talents. Amen? And when I recognize what he did for me, and when you recognize what he did for you, amen, each and every one of us should be able to say, I should be able to forgive that because that's nothing compared to what I've done when you pile up all my sins. Sins we're not even aware of just because of our fallen natures that get in the way even as Christians at times, amen? Then it should move us to forgive others, amen? Now, we will have a part three, but it won't be now. It won't be on unanswered prayer, but it will be just on forgiveness later on down the line pretty soon where I want to go through some other passages that get into the nitty-gritty of how do you go to someone, you know, 
you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little more too because I think that would be very helpful. I want to do it in a row because we just talked about forgiveness. We'll hit something new uh, next week, right? And we're getting back in Revelation 21, which was the third message I considered doing today, but hopefully we'll be there next week because, Tony, I want to get that on my laptop, bro, just in case I don't see you later. Can you put that on my laptop? That, that, that creation thing. Thanks, bro. My wife had it on her computer. I couldn't get, she couldn't get it from my, her computer to my computer. But anyways, I love you guys. Are we ready to forgive? You know what? One of the best things you could possibly do in life is take communion because it lets you, reminds you of what Jesus did for you. And, and it's from the cross that we not only receive forgiveness, but the cross becomes our ethic. It's how we treat others. Amen. Let's pass out the cup and the bread, please. And can you forgive me for going a few minutes over? We're still seven minutes earlier than we used to be <laughs> a year ago or whatever it was. But uh, let's pass out the cup. And there. Oh, <laughs> praise God.